Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Hi, everyone. My name's Connor Wagner. I'm a covenant member here at The Well and a member of the Highland CG. Yeah. Read the word this morning. So starting in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Genesis 2, 8 through 18. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where, the, the, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for reading God's word for us. I don't really need all the stuff about the rivers. I just wanted to make them figure out how to pronounce all that. Uh, My name is Will Walker. I am one of the pastors at Providence Church, but Tori is at men's retreat, and so I'm happy to be Tori's B team. That's better than being his C team, right? So... Really good to be with you. I, I love The Well. I've been a huge fan of The Well since you started. Tori and I have been good friends for a decade now. I love what you do. I love how you do it. Uh, you got Huli, which is a whole thing in and of itself. <laughs> I've never been around Huli when I didn't laugh and feel encouraged. And so just what a great treasure you have in her. Um, you guys are in the middle of a series on discipleship, which is really important. There is so much confusion in our day about like what Christianity is, and a series like this really helps to clarify things, and we need that. Uh, my hope today is to bring some clarity to the role of community in discipleship, and to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning, as you heard read, Genesis 1 and 2. When you go back to the beginning of something, you can see kind of the design principles in the foundation of it. And that's what we want to do today. We want to think about God's design for community. There was a study done by Harvard that lasted 75 years. 
It's one of the long, longest longitudinal studies ever done. Um, from 1939 to 2014, they tracked the physical and emotional well-being of two groups of men. Uh, one group was 456 poor men who grew up in Boston, and the other group was 268 men who graduated from Harvard. It took like several generations of researchers to keep track of these two groups, to monitor their physical and emotional well-being, to see how they were doing. You want to know the result of the study? Of course you do. Here it is from Harvard. The clearest message that we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Not how much is in your 401k, not your business success, not how much people like you, uh, not, not a nice house, not two houses. The biggest predictor of overall happiness and fulfillment in life was relationships. And the study showed it didn't even matter how many relationships you had, and it wasn't contingent on having like a romantic relationship. It was about the quality of the relationships. This is what they say. What matters is the quality of your close relationships, how much vulnerability and depth you have in those relationships. Or said another way, the extent to which, the extent to which you can relax and be seen for who you truly are and truly see another. All right, the results of this study are not surprising at all. Because Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, yeah, these are the kinds of relationships we were made for. The commentary at the end of Genesis 2 is that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. It doesn't get a lot more relaxed and vulnerable than that, right? <laughs> the description there is the community that we were designed for. And so here's the question. If... If we need community, like Harvard says, and in fact, we're made for it, like Genesis 1 and 2 says, then why is it so difficult to come by? The answer, of course, is in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, sin enters the world and corrupts everything, makes everything complicated. That's why we describe relationships that way. It's complicated. So in Genesis 2, they're naked and unashamed. And in Genesis 3, they're fearful and they're making clothes for themselves. That's the world we live in. We all have clothes on right now. We all are a little bit cautious, maybe cynical. We're self-protective. Even in this room, there's mixed ideas about what a good community is and how you get it. And so we got to come back to passages like this and reorient ourselves to God's design. Now, look, Genesis 1 and 2 are about a lot more than community, and the community we're looking at is a married couple. I see that. Right. But there are principles here that apply to a broader set of relationships. And so what we want to do is to try to pull some of those principles out and apply them to the church community. All right, three, I know Tori doesn't do outlines, and even when he says he does, he doesn't. He doesn't stick to it. <laughs> I'm going I'm, I'm to do that. So three things. Here's the first principle. Community is essential, not optional. It's essential, not optional. What I mean by that is that it's built into the design of creation. Relationship is essential to who we are because it is essential to who God is. Look at verse 26 in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and, 
every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. All right, so who is the us in the hour in verse 26? It's God. God exists in community. Maybe it's more accurate to say God is community. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so verse 27, God created man, mankind is the word there, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the triune God makes man, mankind, in his image. And the image of God is reflected in plurality. Two people. Two very different people. Male and female. Together, they are made in the image of God. Together, they reflect and magnify the life and the nature of God. The church, in her diversity of persons and her unity of the spirit, is what magnifies and reflects and even reveals the manifold wisdom of God for everyone, including the principalities and rulers, to see. We live in an age that is so different than that. We live in an age of individualism. If you're old like me, it's rugged individualism. If you're young like most of you, it's expressive individualism. Either way, the root of it is is we prize, cherish, cling to autonomy and independence. You're like, no, I don't, see? (laughs) It's just who you, it's just the water we swim in. And you can't help but import those values and practices into your life with God and your life in the church. And so we tend to privatize faith. You know, that's just something that's between me and God. People say things like, all I really need is God. Okay. Let's think about Adam's life for a second. Adam has an amazing place to live. Pristine real estate, great views. He has delicious food, hanging on trees, no reservations required. Adam has an incredible job and he's good at it. All right, and on top of all of that, you know what else Adam has? God. He's there with him. They take walks, they talk. There's no barrier between him and God because there's no sin in the world yet. If all I really need is God, then Adam has everything he needs, right? That's not how God sees it. Look at Genesis 2, pick up in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And that's his job. Skip down to verse 18. Then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. We're not really talking about the helper word, but listen, that's a strong word. In our, it's not like mommy's little helper. It's a military word. It means to reinforce, to aid. It's mostly used of God. God is our help. So Adam needs some help. Everything up to this point is good and very good, but now God takes a look at it and says, this is not good. And just a basic observation is that creation is not complete without community. In this contest, it's the work that God gave him to do. Adam cannot do the work that God gave him to do on his own. He needs another. When we move toward isolation and autonomy and independence, we're moving away from the work of God. We're moving away from our discipleship to Jesus. Community is not an aspect of your discipleship. It is the context of your discipleship. 
It's where it happens. My relationship to God is vitally connected to my relationships with others. Jesus, reiterating the great command in Deuteronomy, tells his disciples in John 13, hey, whoever loves me keeps my commandments. And then he said, here's the commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. How do you love Jesus? I mean, you guys are talking about pursuing and following and loving Jesus. How do you do that? You love one another. You, you can't separate the two. Most of the commands in the New Testament necessarily require other people. It requires the context of community to live those out. We cannot divorce Jesus from his church, and we do not want to. All of this is telling us that, we're, that community is not just an aspect, it's, it's the context. When the New Testament talks about the church, it describes it in communal terms. We're, we're a family, and God is the Father. We're a body connected to each other. Jesus is the head. We're a building, like stones being worked in together, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The primary way that we love and follow and serve Jesus is in and through our relationships. To put it another way, you and I cannot become who God made us to be on our own. Have to have each other. Uh, in woodworking, they talk about working along the grain of the wood. You know, wood has a natural grain and you want to cut and sand. You want to work along the grain. It's easier, first of all, and it looks better. It brings out the natural beauty of the wood. If you cut against the grain, it's harder and it looks worse. And so when you're thinking about woodworking, you're talking about working along the grain of the wood. It's in the design of the wood. Well, God has designed things to work a certain way, and he's designed your discipleship to work in the context of community. And so just being in community is working along the grain of God's design. Isolating, being self-protective is working against the grain. It's harder and it looks worse. <laughs> when we simply connect to God's design, he blesses it. And it brings out the beauty of his wisdom and power. It puts the gospel on display. I've been in uh, vocational ministry for 25 years, and here's something I've observed. The people who have grown the most and been the most fruitful in ministry are not the most talented and knowledgeable people. It's the most faithful people. It's people who just plug into community. They show up. They're present. They participate. They're just working along the grain of God's design, and he blesses it. If you want that kind of community, you've got to work along the grain of the design. That's the first principle. It's essential, not optional. Here's the second one. Community is God-centered, not self-centered. You know, it strikes me, God did not create a community in Genesis 1 and 2 and then step back from it as if that was the whole point. No, the community he creates is sustained and animated by his very presence, He's at the center of it. Their life together is about the worship of God and the work that he's called them to. When the community comes unraveled in Genesis 3, it's because they took their focus off of God and put it on self. That's what sin does. Martin Luther said, sin bends us in on self. 
So if I'm looking for a community that, you know, kind of bends to me, and you're looking for a community that kind of bends to you, well, then you can see why neither of us have ever found the perfect community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this in his little book called Life Together. He says, he who loves his dream of community more than the actual Christian community becomes a destroyer of the Christian community, even when he has good intentions. So look, I, I assume that we all want community. I also assume that we all kind of want it on our own terms. Uh, I'm old. I have young people that work for me and with me, and they told me recently that a phrase that's gaining popularity these days is this question, uh, does this serve me? So I went on the internets and tried to find it. And yeah, if you just go on social media, it's everywhere. In conversations about career and food and organization and relationships, all of the experts, to, to be an expert means you have an Instagram account. So all of the experts are telling us that this is the question that we should be asking in all of these areas. We should be asking, does this serve me? I'm sure there's a good use for this question, but it just strikes me how opposite it is of Jesus, who said, oh, I came not to be served, but to serve. Give my life as a ransom for many. He said that in a moment when his disciples were like jockeying for position. They were arguing about who was the greatest among them, and Jesus just cuts right to the heart of it. He ain't got time for that. He's like, no, this is not what it's about. A self-centered community won't work because we're made for a God-centered community. I'm going to give you just like a series of contrasts to help us understand, because I think when we hear these, we, we're here, we're at church. We're like, wait, I'm not self-centered. We like to see ourselves in the best light. So let's work this out. Here's some contrast between self-centered and God-centered community. You see where you fall in it. Uh, when I'm at the center of community, then I come to the table asking, what do I get out of this? How does this serve me? When God's at the center of the community, I come to the table asking, How, what can I contribute to this? How can I serve? When I'm at the center of community, then I define who I am. And the community in this situation is like an audience that cheers my identity, right? Their job is to validate who I am, who I say I am. When God's at the center, though, we are who he says we are. And from that place of security and confidence, we can speak truth and love to one another. I don't know what's going on in your small groups. I know what's going on in ours. Um, there's a current running in our culture today that says to be a good friend means that I affirm everything about you and all that you do. Like I'm supportive. If that's what it means to be a good friend, Jesus was a not good friend. He says things like, Satan, get behind me. Talking to his buddy. All right, so in, when God's at the center of a community, we're focused on what he says, who he says we are, and we are moving each other toward that. Yes. When I'm at the center of community, every conflict is polarizing because it's always me versus you. And if we can't figure it out, we just kind of move on. When God's at the center of a community, it's not me versus you because neither me nor you is the authority. Yeah. He is, and so now it's me and you seeking God together. 
When I'm at the center of a community, I think economically about relationships. And so when relationships require something of me that I don't really want to do, I talk about like the cost, the expense of time and energy. When God's at the center, we learn to be gracious and think about it. Like the stuff that I don't want to do in my flesh becomes an opportunity to walk in the spirit. And so my grumbling about what it costs me turns into joy about what I get to do. When I'm at the center of community, or maybe I should say when the community is the center of the community, it's inward. Like the needs of the community is the whole thing. It terminates on the people in the community. When God's at the center of community, it's, it has an outward face to it. Yes, we care for one another. Yes, we meet each other's needs, but we are always moving out toward others and inviting them in. In some way, we all want to put ourselves at the center and listen, that is why Jesus came. He gave his life as a ransom. It means to redeem, to set us free. What's he setting us free from? Our self-centeredness. When you hear that list of contrasts, the wrong application would be to think, man, I got to do better at community. That's just another way of putting yourself at the center. The right application is to say, I need to look to Jesus. Jesus defines us. He gives us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And so now we don't need to win the approval of others to know who we are. Jesus unites us. He reconciles Jews and Gentiles in his body, gives them equal access to God. This is the basis of all conflict resolution. Jesus pays the cost, pays for all of our sin so that we can be gracious and generous toward others. Jesus commissions us, sends us out to make disciples of the nations. And he says, I'll go with you. I'll be with you wherever you go. If you want to move from self-centered community to God-centered community, fix your attention on Jesus. He's the one who delivers you and leads you. Every community has a center. It's the whole basis of affinity groups, which are fine, right? Affinity groups are centered on a common interest or hobby, and there's good uses for that. But when I no longer have that interest or that hobby, I lose the community. It's only as good as the center. We had a small group in our church, this is years ago. Um, we thought it was vibrant and just killing it. It was growing, there were tons of new people in it. I visited it, I was like, this is amazing. Well, what we learned later was that what was at the center of that group was just social connection. So it had the appearance of vibrancy, but it didn't have a lot of depth. And so when two or three of the main social connectors moved, because everybody in Austin is moving eventually, when they moved, that group fell apart uh, like fast, like within weeks. People left the church because their center was the social connection. So if you want deep, lasting community, put God at the center of it in very practical ways. Put him at the center of your conversations. Put him at the center of your conflict and your preferences and your aspirations. Just as best you can, put God at the center of it and just see what he'll do with it. All right, so why do we need community? 
because it's essential to who we are, not optional. What kind of community do we need? We need a God-centered community, not a self-centered community. How do we get it? That's the third principle, and I think this one is the most counterintuitive to us. Third principle is community is received, not found. We often say things like, I'm looking for community, or I just haven't found my people yet. It's fine. I'm not going to be snarky about it. I think we're just trying to put words to good desires. However, my basic observation in Genesis 2 is that Adam wasn't looking for anything. God is the one who sees and provides. So let's go back to Genesis 2 and let's read a few verses together. Let's start in verse 8. As we read, I just want you to notice the emphasis on God as the initiator and provider. Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Do you see it? God planted, God put, God formed, God made, God took, God commanded, God said, God will make. God's the one doing the stuff. He's the creator and giver. Man is the creature and receiver. God sees the need for community and provides it. Adam's role is simply to receive it with gladness. If we think community is something that we must find, then we, in all of our searching, might miss the community that God has given us. The principle is evident in the way God builds the church. How did the 12 disciples become a community? They weren't looking for each other. Jesus came to them. He called them to follow him. And to follow him meant to be in community with each other. How does the early church become such a dynamic community and force of change? Well, in Acts 2, God sends the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. They proclaim the gospel and people believe, like a lot of people. It says that 3,000 were added to their number that day. And a bunch of those people began to gather uh, in Jerusalem daily for teaching and fellowship and prayer. And the commentary again there is that God daily added to their number those who were being saved. They didn't get to pick who was being added. God added them. As the church in Jerusalem is persecuted, those people get the heck out of there and they go to the suburbs and they just flee to other towns. And everywhere they go, they proclaim the gospel and people believe and churches are formed. And in most of those towns, that's the only church in, in town. And so if you became a Christian, that's, that's where you went to church. The whole idea of church shopping would have been like ludicrous, un, foreign to them. They don't get to pick who comes to the church. It's whoever God adds. The community is who God added to their number. And so, look, we could say a lot about how to build good community, but the first step is to receive 
the community God has given you. That's hard for us. We're so mobile. We have so many options. There's always some other place that holds the potential for our dream of community. Right? Some other community group, some other church. Some of you used to go to my church. I see you out there. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Some other city. Like, I just, everyone I talk to wants to be somewhere else. Why is that? Well, look, there, there are times and reasons to make a change, but what I sense in us is not generally a God calling us to something. I sense in us a chasing. It's different. I think we would do well to learn how to be where we are, doing the work God has prepared for us with the people that he's given us. It's not easy. Sometimes it's easy. I got easy people in my life. That's a good gift. But that's not all I have. I have some hard people too. Because God knows I need that. I need people that aren't like me. I need people that I don't understand. I need people that don't understand me. I need to be misunderstood. Right? That's part of my sanctification. And God knows that. And God knows it's not easy. And the New Testament acknowledges that. Why do you think there's so many commands that are basically about how to get along? Like when your kids are getting along, you don't tell them to get along. It's because they're not getting along. And the New Testament is full of problems like that. I, I love Paul's instructions in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So great. Because uh, if, if community is something we must find, when we come upon this list of people, we would think that we haven't found it yet. Because this is not what we're looking for. Not looking for the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak. When people tell me they're looking for community, I ask them, great, tell me, what are you looking for? And you know the answers. It's like, well, I'm looking for people in my life stage. Looking for people who can mentor me. I'm looking for people I can do mission with. Looking for people who are into the same stuff I'm into. No one, not one person ever has said, I'm looking for people that require a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah, if you could just tell me which of your community groups has a lot of needy people. That's, I like to plug into that one. You just kind of point me that direction. Never. Because that's not what anybody's looking for. But it is the community God has given us. In this room are the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak and people who have sinned against you and people that require a lot of patience. And that's good news. Because none of us are making the cut for the perfect community. You know what I mean? Like sometimes a young guy will tell me he's, he's looking for a girl and I'll just, I'll just go with it. I'll be like, well, what kind of girl are you looking for? He's got a list. You know, he's got all these things and in his mind, this is like the ideal girl. And I'll be like, okay, fellow. <laughs> let's just say this girl's out there. And let's say you find her. <clears throat> what makes you think she's going to go out with you? <laughs> this is like an assumption that all men make. It's wrong. 
So let's say you find that ideal community you're looking for. What makes you think you're getting in? You may not be the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak, but you're something. We're all something. Some of us are just arrogant and think we're better than the people on that list. Some of us are insecure and self-protective, and it comes out in weird ways. Some of us talk too much. Some of us don't talk at all. Some of us are stressed, and we're taking it out on you. Some of us lack empathy. Some of us have so much empathy that it's like annoying. <laughs> it tells you where I am on the empathy scale. We all have issues and given enough time, we will all be overlooked in someone's pursuit of the ideal community. But God does not overlook anyone. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, but God sends his son to seek and save the lost. And he gathers them in as his flock. And it doesn't matter where the sheep have been or what kind of blemishes they have. They all belong to him now and to one another. Receiving the people of God is not always easy, but it is so beautiful. I love the story of the Philippian church. Uh, if you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, it's full of just joy and thanksgiving and a personal affection. It's like, man, I'm so glad there's just one church that's like doing okay. And so how, how do they get this, this incredible community? Well, if you go back to, I think, I think it's in Acts 16, you can read how this church began. And it began with four people. Uh, a successful businesswoman, a young girl, a young slave girl who had been possessed by a demon, a Roman jailer, and Paul, who's like a recovering Jewish Pharisee. I would not describe that as an affinity group. <laughs> they had nothing in common, those four people, except Jesus. And so they put him at the center. They love, follow, and serve him the best they know how. They work along the grain of God's design, and God blesses it. And they become this incredible, vibrant church that any of us would want to be a part of. What if you stopped looking for community and just received the one that God has given you? I think you would experience depths of grace and love and the power of the Spirit in ways that would surprise you. And I think it would change how you think about discipleship. We're made for community. It's essential to who we are. Not just any kind of community, not community however we imagine it, but God-centered community. And that is not something we can just go out and make happen. It's something that we receive in Christ. And so the first step to finding good community is to receive Christ. John says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God the family of God. And when you're in the family of God, not only do we look to him, now we receive one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the grain of God's design. Let's ask him to help us live along the grain. God, we do ask you humbly 
uh, we, we admit our self-centeredness, our weakness. We admit that uh, sometimes community feels like a lot of work that we don't want to do. And we just, we need supernatural life. We need power and presence of your spirit in our lives. We need to remember Jesus who came to serve us and we might serve out of that reality. God, would you help us to live this way? And in so doing, would you put on display your glory and your grace? Would you help us to grow as disciples of Jesus together? And we ask it in his name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.